You're listening to Mates Under Fire, made possible by subscribers to The Daily Telegraph. Search Daily Telegraph Subscribe to learn more about taking out a subscription. Over the past six weeks, we've met some of the most extraordinary residents of Malua Bay, a beautiful beachside hamlet on the New South Wales south coast. It was hammered by the New Year's Eve bushfires as around a 1,000 people gathered on the beach out of contact with the outside world as telecommunications and power were cut. 90 homes were decimated that day, and in the days that followed, abandoned rubble became the target of looters. Businesses have borne the economic brunt while even the toughest emotions have been tested. But out of the fire, an incredibly strong bond is formed. This tight-knit community now in it together and stronger than it ever has been. From Raj, the local pharmacist who was offered a place to stay by his loyal customers, the same customers he continued to serve in the dark and without any ability to take payment. Steve, the rural firefighter whose own house was destroyed as he spent 24 hours on a fire truck saving other people's homes. And local MP Andrew Constance, who admits he'll never be the same again. In this final episode, we look at the rebuilding effort which is helping this community get back up on its feet. Despite the massive toll the coronavirus shutdowns are having on tourist numbers and the region's vibrancy, the trucks and earth-moving equipment have started moving in. The trees, once charred and blackened, have sprouted green shoots which cover up the scars of New Year's Eve. Former Deputy Police Commissioner Dick Adams knows a thing or two about recovery after spending 35 years in the police force and serving as State Emergency Operations Controller. He's been tasked with coordinating the clean-up and giving the community the confidence to move forward. We caught up with Dick as he began his tour of the region, kick-starting the mammoth task he admits will take years to complete. We're working on the clean-up and the, um, the waste disposal. And when we see this happening in a lot of communities, what's going to happen is there will be a lot of angst that people have at the moment about, uh, about constantly looking at this fire-ravaged communities. It will start to dissipate a little bit. Uh, but what I'm also worried about is that because we're six to seven weeks after the fires, a lot of these people may need some uh, mental health services and may need some counselling because it's starting to sink in the enormity of this um, of this particular event. I have been saying to people that uh, I've been playing in this space for about 30 years off and on. This is the largest recovery operation in Australia's history. It's impacting upon many hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, we've got 1,700 odd homes lost in the uh, the region that I'm responsible for and uh, and we need to all work together uh, to get through this. I suppose seeing, you know, at the moment just driving around, seeing how much of the community has been affected really has added to the trauma of what people actually physically went through on the day and it's a constant mm-hmm. reminder. Do you think that um, that the clean-up is going to start to lift spirits again when they when they sort of see that everything's able to move on after this? People are going to, uh, to feel the pain for a long time and it is going to be a long recovery. But as soon as we can get some of these these uh, buildings uh, demolished and we can clean up the area and take the slabs away and then uh, uh, rehabilitate the areas, then people can get on with their lives again and rebuild. Uh, my greatest fear personally is that a lot of these small communities, uh, unless those communities stick together and they rebuild, if we lose skilled people out of them and we lose children, then of course then that will, will uh, mean that the community will go down. I mean, if, if young families move out of some of these small communities, it'll eventually mean that, you know, perhaps the school may downgrade or, or perhaps a small business may not be able to survive and these communities won't survive.
Travel restrictions forced about by the coronavirus outbreak are obviously hurting holiday towns like Malua and Batemans Bays. But at the time, Dick told us visitors from capital cities like Sydney, Canberra and Melbourne would hold the key to helping these regional economies recover. Um, message do you have for people in places like Sydney and Canberra who um, could make a difference if they came here for holidays, make a difference by spending money? Like, what, what do you want people around the country to do to show support for this area? Yeah, well, what I'd like uh, people to do, I'd like people in the capital cities, not just Sydney, but of course Melbourne's uh, a great uh, supporter of the south coast of New South Wales, I'd like people to understand that the bushfires are out. Okay, there is burnt country, but if you come along to these areas, you will find that the people are just as friendly as they've always been. Uh, all of, not all of the country has, has been burnt out. There's still a lot of facilities here. There's still a lot of accommodation, and there's vibrant. There are some vibrant uh, large businesses and small businesses. Come and support them, and that's the way these communities will rebuild. To have 1,700 homes lost in one area and have such a responsibility, like what are some of the um, biggest things you managed in the, the police? You know. What experience do you draw? Oh well, I've I've, um, I've done quite well. I used to be the state emergency operations controller, and and I was responsible for the response of of uh, like the 2000 2001 bushfires, uh, the North Coast floods, uh, the two um, like the Glenbrook and the waterfall train crashes. But I've never ever seen anything as big as this. Now I, I have done a number of recovery operations as well with floods and fires, uh, but daily I'm um, I'm seeing a lot of these these uh, traumatised people, these individuals, and uh, whilst they get, most of them are getting their services from local government and they're getting them from recovery centres and some government agencies, a lot of them are feeling quite helpless and hopeless. And, uh, and of course, that's having an impact on me too because sometimes I feel powerless that I can't help these individuals. Um, so, it, you know, it is, uh, it's not the responsibility that worries me. Uh, it's the actually seeing something that's happening and making sure these people are getting the services they need to try and rebuild their lives. Do you think the, um, the time it took for you know, these fires to effectively put out and you know, it was so ongoing as opposed to some of the other mm. um, incidents we've seen where mm. fires may have gone for a week mm. or whatever, this, this went for months. It has. It, and so do you think that has added to the trauma and that people are mm. suffering from? There's no doubt about that because normally you get a you get a, um, a wildfire will go through, it will last a couple of days, it will be, uh, it'll either be under control or it'll be extinguished and then people move on with the recovery. The same with a flood. A flood, a flood will peak and then it will start to go down. Uh, we've had people coming out of uh, northern Victoria who've been evacuated up to three times into Bega. And uh, so when they've come across into Bega, they've had to register three times. Then when they've gone to a recovery centre, they've had to register again. And now that when they're looking for Centrelink benefits or benefits through the Rural Assistance Authority or Service New South Wales, they've, uh, they've had to register again. And now they're going to have to register again for the clean-up. So we're trying to work through those processes because all we're doing is, as you add multiple layers... Uh, upon these people, of course, the trauma increases quite substantially. And, I mean, this is not an easy fix. So how many years do you put the recovery at? No, I think people are just pulling figures out of the air at the moment. It's going to take years for some of these communities to re-establish themselves and get back. I mean, even if people were to... Uh, they had their, their home blocks um, cleared today, it's going to be 12 months before most of them even get a, another house upon there and of course then they're going to have to re-establish their, their lives as they lived them before. Uh, businesses are going to have to do the same thing. I shouldn't be here for two or three years. 
because if I'm here for two or three years, okay, I haven't done my job. My job is to get in, try and stabilise the communities so that self-determination and local government will rebuild these communities together with government help. But people get their services from local government and uh, local governments is, are the ones that are really responsible and will lead the charge in this, uh, in this recovery. The difficult thing for people to understand in communities is why I lost my house and the guy next door didn't lose his. And, uh, and of course that, there's a lot of trauma within the community just on that, on that point because people are trying to help their neighbours and it doesn't matter what you say to your neighbour when he's lost his house. Um, that uh, there is nothing you can say. All you can offer is, is support. And, and that's been going on everywhere. But th there are a lot of communities around Malua Bay that, that have been, uh, been wiped out as well. And uh, I mean, you talk about uh, characters. I've met quite a few characters that I won't name, but, but these are just people that have stuck their head up um, in the emergency. Um, they're not seeking any credit for themselves. They're not seeking any recognition at all. And they will just, when, when this is gone and the... And the the communities have, have, uh, have recovered, those people will just disappear into the, into the fabric of the community. And that's what's so great about it. Um, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who start to think initially that we should try and close some of those smaller uh, community centres down and send people to recovery centres. But that, that's not the way to go about it. We must let... Communities must have self-determination. We'll be back with more after this. News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winger? <laughs> <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. <laughs> Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. Former Governor-General Peter Cosgrove is heading up an initiative to help businesses get back on their feet. Biz Rebuild is run by the Business Council of Australia and is helping small businesses weather the storm. They've trucked in demountable buildings across fire-ravaged regions to get cash and credit flowing back into local economies. It also involves flying squads of helpers who give case management support and guidance to local business owners hoping to hold on to staff and rebuild for the future. When we met up with Sir Peter, he was in the neighbouring village of Mogo delivering a temporary pop-up mall to the community there. Biz Rebuild is the agency created by the Business Council of Australia specifically to help uh, restore business damaged by the bushfires. I say damaged premises destroyed, uh, clientele uh, uh, no longer coming, tourists and the like, or services no longer affordable by a devastated community. All of those businesses are at risk and our self-imposed job is to get them healthy again because we know that if the businesses fold, it's very hard for the community to survive. Do you think that's what sort of made this situation a little bit unique, that this community really relies on those tourists and without the businesses there to support them, then nothing can, can move forward? Lots of different communities will have different pressures resulting from the damage. So we don't have a single solution. What we want to do is to be quick. We want to be very appropriate in the way we tailor what we do. Here, 
we've got this solution of a shopping precinct. Other places, it would be getting people uh, with the tools that were burnt uh, or the workshop structure that no longer exists. Those sorts of things so that they're back in business. So that, hypothetically, a town somewhere along here which had one smash repair, he got burnt out. Well, people say, I've got to take my car, you know, another 50k to get it fixed. That's the sort of thing which erodes communities' confidence and we can't allow that to happen. We've got a long list of communities already visited, but guess what? Even longer list of communities still to be visited. Just because we've got agile, young, active teams, uh, they're driving up and down all the time, but they have to stop and consult with uh, the local uh, councils, chambers of commerce, business folk, to say, what do you need? So that's part of the process. And not only that, but we don't flit in like a, a butterfly and then disappear, never seen again. We've got to repeat visits back to see how we're going. Does it warm your heart to see how the communities have rallied together in these such horrible times? Yeah, well, look, the first thing you, you, that makes you, puts you in awe is after, on the television in particular, you see the immediate aftermath of a devastating fire front, homes burnt, businesses gone, people stressed out. What uplifts you is the stoicism and bravery of the citizens themselves. The people who've lost their home and they say, I'm a bit worried about the lady down the road. That sort of thing. It is so selfless. And of course, words can't describe the firefighters and the people who assist people in dire need. They're wonderful. So that's uplifting. But that doesn't help the need that exists afterwards. So that's when you focus on the next problem. Yeah, we've heard lots of stories about businesses, owners who have lost everything and opening up their shops because they know that people in the community who have also lost everything need supplies and stuff like that. Is that... Well, they're temporal saints. I mean, no, seriously, these are people uh, who show the very best of our Australian character. I'm not here to say that Australians uh, have a mortgage on this sort of spirit, this community-mindedness, uh, but we admire it when we see it in our national character. For Andrew Constance, nobody wants to see his community get back on its feet more than him. He's been a shoulder to cry on for so many and revealed his own emotional struggle with seeing parts of his town wiped completely off the map. It seems only fitting that we spend our final chat with him walking up to the headland at Pretty Point. Its cliffs overlook Malua Bay and look vastly different now than they did at Christmas before the fires tore through. The inferno that changed so many lives on the south coast literally burned to the ocean, wiping out every shrub and tree. The earth still blackened. It's great to be where the fire ended in a funny way because that's where the recovery started. Like the moment the fire passed was the moment everyone started hugging each other and getting on with it. And for some it's hard, very traumatic. Um, others have uh, you know, obviously been able to move on a bit quicker, but we've got to take everyone with us together and this is where... Ultimately, um, it's important that we have empathy and hope uh, for everything we do. And uh, the community is a, a very st- much stronger community now because of what's happened. People who uh, didn't know their neighbours now do. Uh, people have formed lifelong friendships and they've come through something which was incredibly traumatic and powerful uh, to now get to the other side. and. Um, you know, we've just got to make sure everyone's part of it. No one gets left behind.
Back when we started recording Mates Under Fire, the plight of the people of bushfire-ravaged towns like Malua Bay was the nation's focus. But today, we are all in our own form of crisis that could easily feel like the day-to-day battle this township has been facing. It's easy to forget they were already facing an enormous struggle before the uncertainty of COVID-19 hit Australia's shores. For me and Gemma, what we saw and what the people of the South Coast went through changes your view about suffering. I hope one day we can tell you about how it all ended up okay in the end. Thanks for listening to Mates Under Fire. Are you ready to get an inside look at crime from someone who has investigated some of Australia's worst crimes? It was like Aladdin's cave. The luminol found bloodied footprints and bloodied handprints on a wall. So it's just like a horror movie. Former homicide detective Gary Jubilin sits down with cops, crims, addicts, victims, small-time cheats and big-town lawyers as they tell their incredible stories. My house got raided. Next thing you know, I got bail refused. Next thing you know, I'm on a truck to Parkley Prison. Listen to I Catch Killers early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts today or wherever you get your podcasts.